On this episode of Resi Week, we talk small owners being burnt out, the edge method, and the smartest demo home. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 338. It's Visceral. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by FSR. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matthew Scott for AVNation.tv. And this week, I'm pleased to be joined by two of my good friends. First, we have Katie McGregor Bennett. She's the president of KMB Communications. How are you doing, Katie? Doing well. Doing well. Just having a midsummer Thanks. night dream here over here. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> is it not snowing yet? Or no, is next week? it's not. And unlike where you are, it's also not a hundred and something with a hundred percent. It's finally so. cool today. <sighs> nice. um, yesterday and today, but it's supposed to be getting back up into the high nineties and yeah, again. Yeah. Yeah. I live in Canada where it's hot. It's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Then we have Avi Rosenthal. He's a partner at Blue Sav. How you doing, Avi? I'm doing well, thank you. I, and uh, I'm experiencing the crazy weather just as much. I was actually in Switzerland last week where it was uh, 84 degrees on top of the Matterhorn. If you can only imagine at the top, 10,000 feet and it was 84 degrees. Crazy. But there's no such thing as climate change. Remember that. No, no. not at all. Why would you bring that up? You know I'll go down that wormhole. I know you will. That's why I did. <laughs> Don't stop it. <laughs> All right, we're going to kick this off not talking climate change as much as Avi really wants to. Um, we are going to talk about a survey and a study that came to us from CE Pro. 72% of small business owners are feeling burnt out. No crap. Um, <laughs> read through the article. Uh, they, they cover a couple of interesting things. There's a, uh, a really good uh, survey that came out of Podium. Uh, a tech platform that uh, actually I've used in the past, um, highlighting specifically inventory shortages, the lack of separation from work and home, um, and challenging communications <laughs> with customers. Never experienced that in my life. Um, essentially, one in seven, or sorry, seven out of ten uh, owners are feeling burnt out and annoyed and. Uh, 40% of owners are hesitant to hire due to rising minimum wages and 42% saying there's a shortage of workers, uh, which I think is unbelievably low, that percentage, um, considering literally everyone I talk to uh, is hiring. So Katie, let me, <clears throat> let me, let me start with you on this one. What can you do to manage this? Because I, I, I'd argue that the majority of the issues that they're talking about, minus the inventory issues, I've been dealing with long before the pandemic started. Uh, I, we can't use that excuse for it. I've had clients that don't respect any sort of boundaries for communications. Um, we've always, as long as I've been in this business, have had an issue hiring. All of these seem to be a, a normal thing. You add the inventory issues on top of it and the general lack of common discourse that most customers and, and clients seem to have these days. Is there anything we can do to, to manage this or to push back, which is the one I like the most? Because um, I know you obviously deal with both sides of this a little bit um, from, from the PR side. Can we do anything to manage this or is this just all on us individually to figure it out? 
<laughs> no, you know, I mean, I think there's, there's there's a few things. I mean, ultimately, I guess it does kind of all fall on us to, to figure out a way to manage things so that the stress doesn't overcome and <laughs> overcome your life and ultimately <laughs> create health problems down the line. But, you know, I think I think what we're what we're seeing right now is is that everything is piling on and it and the intensity of the pile is just overwhelming. And it's not that it that the things have changed or that it's it's a different it's a different stack of stuff that you're dealing with, but I just, most people that I talk to, it's just the intensity of everything. There's there, we've always never had enough time in each day. We've always felt as though there's a pressure of family pulling on, on the professional. We've always felt as though the deadlines are looming, you know, staffing shortages, all of these things. Inventory has never been so plentiful and robust. So you could literally just, you know, you didn't have to worry about it. It's just that the, everything has a massive intensity right now. And I think that, that generally speaking, most people's patience levels have come, have unfortunately come way down just because we're all dealing with so much and we you know during the dead years as we like to call them you know there was a, there was a bit of a pause button that was pressed but it for most of us at least on the residential side it didn't mean that the pace necessarily slowed to a stop it just meant that our timelines got extended a bit and now we're having to deal with picking that picking back up the pace but now we've got these additional you know external conflicts that are creating a bit of a crisis for us and I think, you know, that's on the professional side personally, is I think that that work-life balancing is getting ever, ever increasingly harder to manage. And, you know, even in our AV yoga group, which has been kind of a, it's been, it's been in a place for our industry to go and spend an hour a week just, you know, chilling out, recentering. That hour I'm seeing is is not being protected like it used to be, and partially because there's executive pressure being placed on a, on individuals for filling up every hour, every minute, and and making yourself available as much as possible. Dinner times are getting encroached on again. Lunch times are getting encroached on again. The workday is starting earlier again. We're not seeing flex Fridays like we used to, you know, which used to be sort of that summertime where a lot of businesses gave their gave their staff time to, to leave early on Friday afternoon or work from home on Friday. You know, like a lot of that has kind of disappeared and there's just sort of a fran frantic nature to the pace of everything and a lack of patience on anything taking longer than what each individual thinks should be an appropriate timeline, whether it's reasonable or not. And I think it's just, you know, it's just a general sentiment of, of being so totally overwhelmed and not feeling as though you can take a breather, take a break. Even though we should absolutely be able to do that, it's just we're we're not, you know, as a community, I think we're just not holding as firmly on to those, you know, putting that stake in the ground and saying that I am going to take that time off and I'm not actually going to work through my vacation. <laughs> I mean, quick raise of hands who worked through their vacation already if you've had time off this summer. You know, I mean, it's... What, it's what's a vacation? Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, we'll, t we'll talk about that on another episode. So of that's another thing. <laughs> I was going to ask what a day off was, but... <laughs> And oh, a lunchtime. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a remedial class for for uh, explaining right. some of those terms. But that's that's just how I see it. I, I learned the term working lunch and seemingly never forgot it. Um, <laughs> I didn't know it was supposed to be like a one-off. Like you do it randomly as a working. Anyways, uh, the, uh, there is some technology that obviously can, can help with this in theory, right? Um, in the article, they talk about... Uh, essentially communication platforms where customers don't have to necessarily just call you. They can, they can send a message, send a text and you can, you know, hopefully respond to that quickly. Uh, but also put some, put some framework around that, what that's going to look like in this world, whether you deal with ultra high end or mid market or low end, it really doesn't matter. Most consumers have this idea that they have, a guru 
or a uh, concierge in the industry that is helping them with their tech. And by that means, just like they feel in a, in a hotel where you pick up that phone and you call the concierge and it doesn't matter what time of day it is, you expect a response. We've kind of built that ourselves. Can we walk that Dude. back as an industry without being rude like I am where I just say, no, I'll respond to you on Monday. Yeah, exactly. Go away. Yeah. It's the weekend. No. Um, so I, I think that those technologies are actually a double-edged sword. So although they make it much easier for your client to reach you, they, they put the pressure on the professional to feel that they have to answer right away. So, you know, the good news, bad news of having a smartphone that has great connectivity and email and things in it is you're always looking at it and you're never taking the time to sort of break away from it instead of taking a natural pause and saying, okay, you know, at the top of the hour, I'll deal with that. As it comes in, as you're sweeping sand into the ocean, you're continually answering those questions. Now think about that because that's really what you're doing. There's, there's a constant flow and the technology was supposed to meter that flow, but essentially what it's done is it's created a situation where that flow is constant. And so we feel as professionals that if someone has asked a question of us, it's our responsibility to answer it. So I think setting the right level of expectation with your client and helping them understand that there's not a just-in-time answer versus a, hey, I've got a critical issue. You know, a lot of the work that I've done over the years has been in the security business, and that's really when it's mission critical. If you've got a break-in or you've got a, a water sensor going off or something like that, you've got to respond right away. However, if you have a client who's asking you a question about the connectivity of their television or they've got a little bit slow internet access at the moment, there's a prioritization, there's a triage that has to occur in the way that you answer those questions. And I think that the technology has done a really great job of connecting us, but then done a very poor job in the triage of those incoming requests. And so, you know, I would also talk about life-work balance and the interference and intrusion into the dinner hour and things of that nature. I also think it has a lot to do with the pandemic, not that the pandemic is the panacea of fixing everything or breaking everything, but I think we got very used to the idea of this constant workflow ebbing and flowing while we were in our homes because we couldn't go and do other things. I myself, for instance, just took the first vacation I had been able to take since before the pandemic. And it's very hard to break away. Now, anybody who knows me knows that I'm always available anyway, and I'm not the type to break away. And we were in Europe and the time difference, I used it to my advantage, that everybody went to sleep and I was on my email, right? Okay. But the difference now is that, you know, for the last couple of years, I've been in my home. I've been in my office. Um, and so you got into this rhythm of, well, I might as well answer the question. I'm not going anywhere anyway. But now I am going somewhere. And so I think we have to sort of readjust the expectation of the client who was also sitting at home, not having to go to their office. You know, questions would bubble up and they would ask them. So I think it's a, the pendulum swinging more in the other direction, right? I think things will level out. And I do like the, the concept of the fact that the technology is making it easier. We now have to start to use this technology for triage, not just for connectivity. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, let's change topics for a moment. This is an article that comes to us from a residential systems and a good friend of the show, Mr. Henry Clifford, leveraging the edge method. Uh, <clears throat> go read through the article. Uh, Henry, it seems, spent two weeks in the back country of New Mexico. Um, just camping, though. There, there's other things I would do in New Mexico. On top of that, I'd camp with other things. Katie knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, but long and short, uh, Henry went with, uh, if I'm reading through the lines, with some some Boy Scouts. 
and they got a, uh, a, a, a an explainer on how to how to camp and how to navigate um, from a <coughs> Air Force cadet named Max who went through a really a wonderful teaching method that the scouts use called EDGE, which stands for explain, demonstrate, guide, and enable. Uh, essentially, you and you explain by, believe it or not, explaining uh, how things work. Then you demonstrate how they work. Uh, then you guide the participants in how those things work on that skill. And then you enable by stepping back and, and adding feedback as you go. Uh, Henry asks <coughs> at the edge of this is, how you would implement edge in your company. And uh, Avi, I want to, I want to start with you on this. Um, we, we bemoan the fact that we don't have enough people in the industry. And then when we bring people into the industry, typically, and I'm using a really wide, you know, brush here, but typically, uh, we kind of just throw them in the deep end and hope that they figure out how to swim pretty quick, or we kick them to the curb. Um, there are a lot of good training programs through Cedia, through the buying groups, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I'm going to challenge that as, as a lot of times that's kind of still just throwing them in the deep end. You're giving them a tablet or a phone or a computer and saying, hey, for two hours a week, um, work through this course and hopefully learn something. Knowing that the majority of us who are in the business, we're hands-on learners anyways. Um, are we doing a, a, a good enough job? Are we excelling at training the next generation? Yeah, the simple answer is no. Thank and you. It's a problem. It is a problem. So that's all I have to say. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> so it, it is. So, so let me go. Let me go back just a little bit. All right. So I read the article. Um, first of all, it's a great explanation of the edge method. I was not even aware of the edge method, but it turns out that uh, me and some of the other folks that I know in the industry have been following it, although we didn't know it had a name. Right. So the, there's a different way of, of doing things. I think it has a lot to do with certain people's personality. Um, I tend to be an explainer, a talker. And so to me, it was a natural way to train my guys back in the day. Um, I also look nothing against Avixia and Cedia and everybody else who has training programs. But in my mind, those training programs are only the first E. Right. That's the explanation. So if you take somebody raw off the streets and you put them through training, that's not the catch-all because now they've been explained the concepts, they've been shown the concepts maybe, but every integrator has their own methodologies, their own shortcuts, their own you know ways of doing things. And so when you get them back from the class, don't expect that they're going to just hit the ground running and know exactly what to do. It is then, you know, in, in my world, I used to pair a veteran and a beginner together as a team and then they would swap places, right? So you'd have the veteran out there, he would be the guide, you'd, you'd go through the explanation process in the, uh, in the office, bring them up to speed. You know, when I was in integrated, we didn't have a lot of the great training classes that you have now. It's one of the reasons why we worked on a really old program called DHTI, which nobody remembers, but I was actually a part of way back in the day, um, was to do that first E, and then you bring them in and you, and you do the D, and then you guide them through. What I, I think especially in this tight a employment market, right? I mean, everybody is looking to hire. I just had another client today, you know, their lead engineer in the middle of a project, jump ship because he got a better offer from the competition down the street. It's happening every single day. It's part of the work-life balance, to go back to the other question. It's about what they are able to accomplish as employees within your organization. 
And it's also how much you're empowering them. So not to shift away from the edge concept, because I think it's important, but I think it all rolls into how comfortable your employees feel with the job that is put before them each and every morning. If they, if you follow this kind of method and they feel comfortable in the fact that they can achieve the goals and accomplish the project you've given them each day, they'll be much more satisfied in their job than if you throw them to the wolves, so to speak, or in the deep end or whatever metaphor you want to use. And at the end of the day, they feel like maybe they accomplished it, but it was a struggle all day. And so they go home, you know, really grumpy because they had to struggle through all day. So I think this method, it's a great article. I, I would also recommend that everybody take, take a read. I think it's a very easy thing to implement within an integration environment. Katie, one of the, one of the issues I see with this is, uh, and not with the process, don't, don't misunderstand, but with the concept of integrators needing to train is it's really easy to get stuck in your business and just do your business. It's a little bit harder to have this bigger breadth of, of concept and say, hey, I've got a business and I'm willing to invest time because that's really what it is. You have to invest an obscene amount of time to train someone up, especially internally. Um, <clears throat> to get them to a point to where they're fully proficient within our industry. You don't see a lot of integrators having that be kind of a focal point of what they do. You hear about like teaching hospitals in, in London, in my city, in all of Ontario, we are one of the premier teaching hospital groups, actually in all of Canada. Um, people come here to learn how to be doctors, right? Um, and they do a lot of work in residency and on the job, learning that. How do we shift the culture within our industry to stop just complaining about not being able to hire anybody and actually taking some ownership that, you know, we as an industry, if we want to maintain the industry, we kind of have to focus primarily on people coming into the industry. Yeah, you know, it's, um, you know, the, that notion of residency, I think that, that that's, a, it's a really good one. If we could, if we could take something from another industry and pull it into ours and, and have it take root, that I think would be one of the most valuable, valuable ones to do. And I think, you know, Avi, you touched on it with putting a veteran and a, and a rookie together, you know, similar, similar concept, but you know, there's, there's learning how to do the different aspects of each job, technical or otherwise, but then there's also learning how to do each individual business's nuanced way of doing those those tasks and delivering the end result to the client and i think when you try to jumble those two things together the the training process becomes convoluted i think it becomes overwhelming to the applicant and you know that things are going to get things are going to get missed just simply because you're trying to to discuss the nuance of how a particular business does a particular thing as well as just how to get that particular job done and get in get out get paid is is a is a lovely sentiment and something that we all should be should be striving for but there's an appropriateness in a in a, in a proper way of doing things that ultimately make sure that that what you're getting paid is is the right price and and is is going to provide value down the road for both the business and the client you know and i think that there's just taking the concept of residency and applying it to integration or any of the businesses within our community i think really makes a lot of sense i it's 
is that going to be easy to do? No, <laughs> because time is money. And, you know, <laughs> creating this environment of a residency that, um, that impacts the bottom line, I think, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be the greatest challenge, but what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. And so if you put the time into your applicants and really nurture their training and, and take the time to show them not only just how to do the job, but how to do the job the way that your company does it and why, you know, for me, it's always, you know, why, why things are done the way that they're done that have the most impact yeah. on me. And I, and I will retain that much more. And that's just the sort of learner that I am. But I think that, you know, when you're talking about the next generation and the, and the younger generation, answering that why in every, in, <laughs> throughout the day really kind of needs to become part and parcel of, of the conversation. Because without the why, then it just becomes a do the thing. And the do the thing gets monotonous. And particularly when you've got a demanding client or when things start to go south for whatever reason, products not working together where they used to work together just fine yesterday. You know, <laughs> having a little bit more meaning um, and context definitely will help everyone get get through that get through the challenges and, and create a much more positive outcome. So, you know, again, I, I think it's a great concept. Can we do it? I think we have to commit to doing it, you know, and it, and it does, you know, kind of come with some common curriculum that I think, you know, the association certainly can provide and providing some groundwork for how, how does a residency model take, take root? You know, you've got bigger brands, bigger brands with manufacturing, for instance, that perhaps they could start to open their doors to the industry a little bit more and just, you know, providing some level of context for how products are made, why they're made the way they are. And ultimately what they do then is, is based on how they're manufactured. Just as an example, just, you know, kind to throw to throw out here is it reasonable to expect that's going to happen by a sony tomorrow probably not but <laughs> there's <laughs> a chance it be cool? <laughs> it's interesting too yeah and i just want to mention this before we go into the, the the last story we work with an electrical partner here and you know like like the electrical industry pretty much everywhere you go through a journeyman to master yeah. process right. and, and you you work side by side but one of our one of our electrical partners their primary thing is training young electricians. And they are, you are guaranteed that they're, anybody who's a journeyman will have somebody with them that they're training and on more complicated projects, a master will be training that journeyman. And <clears throat> they charge a little bit more because there's always somebody there and they, they spend the entire time explaining what they're doing as they're going through whatever they're doing to whoever's with them. And yeah. It's, it's like part of a teaching hospital. Yeah, but it's part of their story too. They, yep. it, it's a big part of their marketing is that, hey, we're helping to develop this. So when I come and, you know, have to then pass that bill on to my clients, we, we, we talk about that story a little bit too. And it's a really good thing because everybody's heard about it. Everybody's heard about the, the shortage in, in skilled trades. All right, let's hit this last story of the day. Before we go, this comes to us from Technology Designer, the smartest demo home. Uh, this covers a, uh, a an interesting story actually about a good friend of the show, Mr. Bronner from uh, Pro Audio Georgia. When he expanded into the Carolinas, he bought a house in the Carolinas and outfitted it as a full demo house that, again, uh, when they're working in in the Carolinas, they can they can stay there as well. Um, but it's it's a full breakdown of what they did to essentially take this home that's on par with a lot of their customers' homes and fully reno it to uh, the the full extent um, that's possible. Katie, I, I want to start with you on this. This is one of those articles that's kind of like 
it's kind of the dream article that every integration company wants, right? It's a real big case study. It covers a lot of highlights of all the cool things that we do in the business. How do you go about writing that, getting press for that? Is there a methodology um, to, to achieving that? And then once you have it written, how do you market it? Well, the easy answer is just call Katie and that, you know. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> but. And yeah, yeah. that was a shameless plug. Standing by. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I didn't say, okay, communications comes to mind. Um, no, but it, it, this is, and this is, this is exactly the kind of story that, that the press are looking for, particularly on, in, in the trade side. These are the type of application-based stories that, that really resonate. And, you know, you can put out a press release about a product and say everything that it does and everything that's going to do and all the brands that it works with. But once you put it into context and into an actual installation and show the reader, whoever the reader is, how everything works together in the ultimate experience that that homeowner is is joyfully experiencing every day, um, or whoever the intended audience is for it, you know, these are the type of the application stories that really resonate quite quite beautifully. What do you need? First and foremost, photography. Um, photography and video. Mm-hmm. And and through each stage of the game, believe it or not, all the behind the scenes stuff that goes, that goes on is as equally impressive as the beautiful glory shots that happen at the end. But particularly if you have an intention of working with the trades or want to work more closely with your trade partners, then show them the work that you're doing at different phases of the project so that your reason for needing to be involved early and often, early and often, early and often really resonates with them. So show show them what's going on on the walls before you're closing it up and why it's important that that be addressed at the different phases of the project and not visited when the keys are being delivered, those types of things. And so, you know, you really can, you can make a case for why you need to be involved you need to. You can also make a really good case with your homeowner as to why things cost what they cost when you do walkthroughs, you know, and really mm-hmm. take the time to do that. And you're starting to see, if you're on Instagram especially, you're starting to see a lot of builders taking time out of their day to do these types of behind-the-scenes project reels, and you know exactly why they're doing it. They're validating the price that they're charging and the time that it takes and, and, and the nuances of their particular business that, you know, why you would want to do business with them. So um, so photography and video is absolutely key. Really, you know, honestly, we, we, we say no image no story and as much as i hate to say it you can have an amazing installation story but without great images the story really isn't going to go anywhere so you know in in this case where it's his home i'm sure he gave himself a commercial release of all the photography and assets but if it's not your home (laughs) caution number one make sure you've got a commercial release of of those assets and honestly you should have that built into your proposals just from the get-go that if the project moves forward it is assumed that you have the ability to use images obtained during the course of the build and 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 final photography and make sure that you get a signature on that obviously you need to be really careful about just you know geo geography locating and, and making sure that any of the tags on those images don't have a street address anything like like that buried on, on any of the file data it's just it's, it's just a good thing to do is scrub that off and get in the habit of doing it and making sure your technicians or whoever's on site from the day to day make sure that they know to do that as well just you know protect your homeowner and their interest in what's going on inside the property and then it's, from there, it's really just telling the story. You know, what is it about this project? Why did, what was your interest in doing it? If you're the integrator who's trying to build out this house, just have it as a show house. You know, why, why are you doing it? Why did you pick this particular street, this particular neighborhood, this particular type of construction? And then talk about the products, you know, and particularly, you know, why you chose the products that you chose. Obviously, you have a relationship with them if you're an integrator and you're putting this project together. But tell that story because on the other side, most people don't understand that. And what they do get fed a lot is this... Uh, 
the smart home isn't smart. And I, you know, DIY smart home kludgy together, nothing works well. You know, that's unfortunately the type of story that they see in the Wall Street Junior Journal and the New York Times. If we can do a better job of telling the story from our side of the fence, it actually shows when you put the right products together and you professionally install them and configure them, you actually can have a really amazing home that is technology driven, but probably you're not even experiencing most of the technology until you stop and take a look around the room. Mm-hmm. We need to be selling those stories more often, you know, and get a, we need to control the narrative. It's one of the things I like to say the most, and we just don't do it enough. So these types of projects really, really do a great job of providing the ultimate marketing assets that you need to get in front of a consumer audience, in front of your trades. And the media love this, love these stories, particularly if you're the if you're the one who's behind the build. Even better, because you can speak with with expertise in every aspect of it, and you're not leaving that person in the media wondering, you know, needing more information and waiting for answers. You've you've got them all. So, if that's something that you can do, you know, and take the time out of your day to do it, great, absolutely encourage it. If not, there are companies like mine and like others that that do this all the time, and this is (laughs) we're storytellers. Our industry loves to loves to listen and want and look at stories. So, um, it really is quite easy, but it, it. no images, no story. Yeah, good point. Avi, uh, what's the benefit of, and again, depending on where you are, the market may or may not allow this, but what's the benefit of purchasing a, a show home versus just getting an office and, and trying to you know build a vignette within it? So we used to do this back in the day, believe it or not. Um, when when uh, I had my integration firm down in Florida, we actually did, uh, when we were doing condo work, we would buy a condo in the facility and, and deck it out, and then we would resell it afterwards. Um, we also did it with a home. And then my the, my very first show showroom was my own house. Um, used to drive my wife crazy, but, uh, you know, we would have people come into the house and, and check it out because it's very difficult especially back then now it's getting a little bit easier but it's difficult for people to visualize exactly how the technology is going to impact their lives until somebody sees a really good home theater or an implementation of a great lighting system or the the beauty and safety of a security with sensors that monitor what's going on within the home it's very hard for them to visualize it's 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 very esoteric if you can walk them through a facility and show them hey if somebody opens that front door in the middle of the night, you know, these three things are going to happen. Or if your kid gets out of their room or, or if something breaks or if the water is flowing when it shouldn't be, or look at the immersive experience of this home theater. You know, you're going to sit here. We used to do silly things like, you know, we'd always pop popcorn whenever somebody was coming to the home theater because it was completely, you know, it, it was, it was visceral. Uh, vis- I can't say that word. Visceral. Visceral. Thank you. Visceral. You're welcome. Uh, I still do. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> The popcorn and the movie would work really well together because that's the way it is. It's relatable. Um, it's relatable. It's relatable. There you go. Oh, my God. There we go. We can edit all that out. Okay, take two. Here we go. Um, so we would pop the popcorn and, and bring them in, and it would enhance that experience. Um, I think show homes are still the, the best way to visually show and, and to experience the technology <clears throat> Excuse me, in your home. Because people need that immersive experience, right? It, it, people need to understand it. And, and what, you know, the guys down in Georgia are doing in North Carolina, it's being replicated in lots of different places. But I think the fact that he took the, the um, impetus to buy a house, outfit it, spend the money, he will see a return on that investment much greater um, than he would have if he had just rented, you know, an executive suite and tried to jam something into you know, some, some office suite someplace. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that you can't over, 
you 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 can't talk about enough is the fact that every single home buyer, if you're dealing with production homes or custom homes, every single home buyer has to be shown that technology. If you have a place to show it, then you're more apt to use it and to put on that presentation. If you're just doing it from a book at a table or if you're just doing it from an office suite someplace, it's it's less impactful and it's much more difficult to convince the home buyer to come in and see it because it's no longer an appointment. It's a, hey, let's get together at the local Starbucks. I'm going to show you this book of stuff, yeah. right? If it's a destination, people take it more seriously. It's an appointment. You take them through. You have a, a true presentation. You can build on it, right? Because you're going to have your uh, walkthrough. So you, you know, the, the old adage, you sell high, right? And commit low. Um, and so you want to make sure that you're selling the best, putting your best foot forward. A showroom enables that conversation. And like Katie said, storytelling. Nothing tells a story better than a showroom that's laid out. You have control over it. You get to decide what comes on and what goes off. You get to make the emotional impact on that buyer within your own facility. Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. All right. Let's leave it there. Thank you both so much. Avi, if people want to connect with you, learn more about BlueSav, how do they do that? Best way is on our website, uh, www.bluesavve.com, uh, or they can reach me at uh, on my Twitter handle at uh, AVIRFL. Excellent. Thank you, my friend. Katie, if people want to connect with you, learn more about KMB Communications, where can they do that? Yep, I think if you if you if you find uh, if you seek and find uh, KMB Communications across the social sphere, we're on all platforms. Our website is KMBcom with two M's dot com, and you can find me, Katie McGregor, or Katie McGregor Bennett, some variation thereof, as well. But always happy to have the conversation. Excellent. Thank you again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and most other social platforms. But more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. 